This is Bet MGM tonight. Join us for live sweats. Yes. Let's go, Kansas State. That was a big balls three. Three minutes ago. Big balls three. Instant reaction. This is an unbelievable thing for me to see. My favorite team, my true favorite team. Less mistress, more side piece. And maybe a few regrettable decisions. Oh, he's got bust written all over him. Gutekind sucks. Jordan Edison ran a 5-3-40, and he's Tristis height. I'd take him. You know what you shouldn't have done? Bet on the Wizards. Yep. Now, live from Washington, D.C., it's Ryan Horvat, Trista Crick, and Nick Ashew. Trista, Nick, and we got a 25-25 tie with three minutes to go with the Raptors and Mavs. Trista, P.J. Washington. P.J. Washington tonight, 13 points in the first quarter. I had the over on Kyrie Irving threes. Hasn't even taken one yet. I told you, I knew this was going to happen. Betting gods come back after the last two days, and they said, no, 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 we're going to even this damn thing out. PJ, I know he's played well with the Mavs, but damn it, P.J. Washington having 13 points in the first quarter is going to give me a sample of what the NBA is going to look like tonight. And Luka only has four, so my Luka yep. over, not looking great. <sighs> you know, it, it, you get some... You lose some. I know it's betting, but you always think of the losses more than the wins. I wish it wasn't the case. You should have a positive attitude and see the bright light, and maybe not the bright light, but see the good light and just think of the good. And no, it's just, it's not how it works. You always think of the losses. It's the most frustrating thing that you could, I, It's and it is the NBA. I guess that's what it is. All right. We bring in our buddy Pam Maldonado. We got the, uh, the Cognizant Classic, which of course used to be known as the Honda Classic, but you first off are toughing it out you said this is the 11th day straight that you've been sick now it is i caught the flu immediately i came back to vegas from came back to austin from las vegas on over the weekend um post super bowl and immediately the next morning i woke up and i was just like oh why does the light hurt and then all of a sudden 11 (laughs) days later and i'm like what is going on i hit 103.2 fever for six days, um, ranging between 102 to 103. I had hallucinations. I had multiple ice baths. There was a point where I thought that I was like actually dying and I was like sending text messages to my friends like, girls, I love you in case anything happens, in case I don't wake up. But today, on day 11, um, the only funny thing to really come out of it is if y'all saw like the mustache that I had going, Oh, yeah. It was definitely competing <laughs> with Nick over here of like, oh, this is what happens when you don't take care of yourself. <laughs> did you have to get IVs, I thought I saw, on Twitter as well? I did. I got multiple IVs throughout the week because my fever, no matter what they were doing, nothing happened. I had ice packs underneath my armpits and areas, other areas. I had ice baths. And my fever just was was not budging. It would not drop below 102. And I went in for, I think, like a third or fourth time because at 103.2, I started hallucinating. I'm in a two-bedroom apartment, and I swear, I saw someone run across the door, and I was like, who's there? And you know how in movies they're like, don't ask questions you don't want answers to? I was like, all right, just go to the doctor. I don't want to know what else is in here. <laughs> Wow. You know, normally when somebody leaves Vegas and they have, you know, the light hurts them and you need IVs, it's just because (laughs) Vegas took a hold of you. But this is far beyond. Either it's the world's longest, most ridiculous hangover of all time, or it's something that was just one of the nastiest bugs you could ever get. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm sorry that you had the hallucinations. 
Uh, that's scary as hell. So here's what we'll do. <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll try to divert the attention from that instead, and we'll get into the Cognizant Open, which is still weird for me to say, so as opposed to the Honda Classic. I mean, this is right. We have like stadium sponsored name changes and it just doesn't sound the same Heinz Field should always be Heinz Field but it is what it is and this is kind of a weird setup too if you look at the you know if you're just looking at like we have one golfer that's under 22 to 1 to win this thing outright it's Rory at 8 to 1 like do you look at that as maybe more of I don't know an opportunity or is it maybe more being cautious in that market because everything's just so kind of like bunched together well, if anybody's been paying attention to the PGA Tour, um, we've had eight tournaments in 2024, and the one key factor that we've seen be consistent of each week is there's 101 player who's winning this. Like, it's no longer look to the guys up at the top. Even somebody like Hideki Matsuyama, he was not a top five player in that field. Um, maybe, like, from, like, the general perspective, yes, but from the odds board, he wasn't. So, no, I look at somebody like Rory McIlroy, and as enticing as it is to want to back him, He's not somebody because of the low, low price that you're getting. It's not considered value when you have week after week players who are showing up, showing the capabilities, the abilities. And actually, <coughs> excuse me, um, I went to the Live Tour event that was in Las Vegas. And uh, what I noticed on paper, we know how many players went over to Live. But from a visual perspective, I was like, oh, he's here. Oh, he's here. I got the visual aspect of, wow, like X amount of players really did leave the PGA Tour. Live has them. Now it makes sense. All of these players who are winning, who are like mega value at 101, it, it was just all put into perspective for me. Do you think that that makes it tougher for Vegas and better for us? given the fact that there's really no way for them to use the, the analytics that they normally would be able to, to price in uh, guys like, I don't know, Dustin Johnson, who, like right. you said, you probably watched in Vegas at playing in live. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes it difficult, not just for the casual per viewer for the better for the books. I think it's more difficult all around because now we're having to consider not just PT PGA tour stats. We're looking at live stats, Euro stats, corn fairy tour stats. We're looking at players from every tour course that they've been playing over the last six months, because we really, it can be any week, any player, every single week, it could be somebody new. Feels like trying to watch like a show on one of these streaming platforms. Everything's all over the place, and you can't figure out what anything is anymore. So this is just, I guess, the world we live in at this point. You know, you talk about the PGA Tour this season, right, and long shots winning, and that being sort of the theme of the start of this year. But it's also this event as a whole. I mean, over at, yeah, PGA National, I think it's what three of the last five years you've had somebody that had pre-tournament odds of eighty or one or eighty to one or longer winning this thing mm -hmm. is there something specific about this course maybe that kind of feeds into that a little bit more I would think yes because especially when we did have all the Dustin Johnsons the Roy McIlroy's who were in the mix a collective unit of the greats into one tournament now not only do we not have that but two like we're looking at name branding as one and what this course offers for the PGA National one it's progressively getting easier year after year so it's kind of opening up the door to some of these longer shot players who have been on the tour a lot uh, who are more young to the tour and then Two, it's not really uh, catering to any specific type of player per se to where, hey, you can drive. It looks really scary on paper, PJ National, because there's water on like every single hole. 
but it doesn't necessarily mean that the water comes into play on every single hole. Like you really have to like whack it way right or way left in order to hit out of bounds into the into the drink. But for the most part, a player can miss a fairway and you're you'll you'll be into the rough, but you're not still gonna be anywhere in hazard. So instead, it does cater to more of the player who, okay, maybe you're not great off the tee, but are you really good with your long irons? This is the type of course where you may not have like you may be like top fifty with your approach shot, but when you start looking at buckets like two hundred yards out, players who excel in that aspect, those are the types of players that can do really well. And there's actually not a lot of players, which this is where the value comes into play. Look further down the board because these are the less known players who are getting a lot of love because that's not really a, stat, a data point that we tend to look at week after week. The the most known player, I guess, in terms of odds. Eric Cole, he was the uh, runner-up last year in this tournament. He's mm-hmm. thirty-three to one. What do you think about him in terms of maybe putting some money on him? He's one of the few players that I do like as well, and I think you're going to see a lot of Eric Cole on your Twitter timeline for right for the right reasons. His long irons, he's really good with hitting his marks, particularly from the long distance. Now he's 19th in strokes gain on approach, but when you took a look at those buckets that I was talking about. From 200 yards out, he's top 10 in the field. He's not only top 10 in the field, he's top 10 on tour. So he's one of the best long iron players in the world. You mentioned how Cole got second here last year, gaining nine strokes putting. Typically, I don't want to look at a player who gains that much when it comes to the flat stick. That's typically a worry, except Cole is actually third in the field for putting on Bermuda grass greens behind Taylor Montgomery and Ben Griffin. So when you tell me that you're already a positive putter, and you excel on this type of surface, and you're one of the best long irons, rightfully rightfully so, you should be seeing his name a lot this week. Talking to Pam Maldonado, BetMGM tonight. Uh, You are just a trooper, by the way. I cannot believe you were sick 11 days and you're coming on this damn show. I would have told everybody to kick rocks. (laughs) This is why you're just tougher than the rest of us, and that it just is what it is. You know, I'm looking at some of the stats here. We get a lot of the BetMGM insights in terms of just like, you know, where, where the public's going, where they're leaning. It's probably no surprise in terms of ticket percentage and handle. Rory McIlroy's at the top of that list there. But it's interesting. In terms of biggest liabilities, you had a couple other there, including Adam Svensson at 40-1 to 1 is one of the biggest liabilities for this tournament. Is that somebody that you like? Is that maybe a fade-the-public type situation? How would he his situation be in terms of – this is talking about outright winner, by the way. Um, I think there's a lot of players this week – I think what people are getting caught up in right now is all of these long shots winning. So you're kind of starting to throw darts. Players, if you're looking at a player who's like consistently been doing well, and I mean, hey, last week you got T10. That's somebody that I want to fire on this week. You still have to look at course history. You still have to look at, well, how is he from those longer shots? Is he good on Bermuda grass greens? This is the first time on tour for this for this year that we're having Bermuda grass surface because we've been on Poana. We've been on different types of surfaces. So this kind of caters to... um, Team No Putt can kind of excel here. So that's one of the reasons why you could see Adam Svensson as an interesting outlook. Somebody who's way further down the board, we we're talking about, you mentioned earlier at the top that uh, 80 to 1s have been winning here previously. Maverick McNeely, I think, is somebody that's probably not going to be mentioned. I don't think I've heard him at all, actually. He returned to tour back in November. He's been out since June because he was rehabbing a torn ligament on his left shoulder. The big question mark is is he back? Or could this potentially be like an early buy? Because he's had back-to-back events, the Phoenix Open and the Mexico Open, T16, T13. And it's less about the finishes for me. It's more about he has gained across the board 
in both of those tournaments. And that is something that's very difficult to do. A one-off, okay, cool. Back-to-back tournaments, I'm starting to look at you a little bit more, especially somebody like Manili, who in the past, before his injury, was a consistent top player. Now, while everybody is team no putt, McNeely is actually team only putt. <laughs> but now he's starting to get healthy. He's on a course that he has had some success on. He had T11 back in T20 in 2020. And you're getting over 80 to 1 odds to him. Um, 82 plus 8,200 for him to win as an outright. Even in the top 40 market, you're getting plus money on him to finish. Wow. I had a general question like outside of just this tournament. I saw that Anthony Kim is returning to the Live Tour after an 11-year layoff. Did you see that? Like, why do you think he decided now? Why do you think he decides Live? I just saw that, and I was like, I want to get Pam's perspective on this. Um, To be honest, I've been MIA for 10 days. (laughs) So I did see that as well. (laughs) And I did see his story. I did see a storyline about there's a lot of hype coming out to him um, for returning back to the Live Tour. And so I would just like to see, like, does the talk – back up all of the hype that's being built up around him. Um, unfortunately, I would have to do a little bit more on that. I have been out of a slumber for probably about six hours. <laughs> Pam, if I'm being honest, this is the one time that you guys no, can no, catch that's me good. off guard. Here, here's no, the thing. I think that's it's good, never a quiz show. Yeah. yeah, we just all we wanted you, the fact that you're even doing this, I, again, like You've done. I'm just gonna give you a standing ovation. That's it. That's <laughs> no, it. No. Eleven days. Good God, Pam Maldonado. Always good to talk to you. You just give yourself a break here. Now you've had. You've done more than enough for us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. Ah, uh, Pam. God, I, seriously, Trista. Eleven days. I would have told. I would have told everybody on this show, including oh, yeah, you no. and me, to kick rocks. I, I mean, there's just there's just no way. Yeah, it just is crazy. <laughs> the fact that Pam has bets for this tournament. Uh, at all I know. is impressive in its own right, really. When you're sick, when you're sick, like, do you still bet or do you just get to the point where, like, you can't oh. look at a screen or? No, I can't look at screens. I can't look at TVs. Yeah. All I do is sleep. That's all. Like, yeah. I'm drinking soup uh, and then I'm going back to the nap. I can always tell that if I'm not feeling good. If I get to the point then where I can look at a screen and I'm interested in a couple of games or getting it, then I know, all right, I'm getting better. I'm like, okay, here we go. Scrolling, looking at a couple of things like this. That's when I know I'm like, okay, everything's starting to come back a little bit. I can actually function and I give a damn about anything other than, yeah, soup and sleep and just watching anything other than sports. Because you got to have those comfort things, right? You watch like a movie that you were watching when you were a kid or you want to do something that's going to help you just like, drift off to sleep and try and recover and get through the nasty whatever it is that you got but man yeah that's that is a long long trek i'm glad she's feeling better that's for sure yeah me too i think that's such a good point too in terms of all these players going to live and it making it so much more difficult to bet the pga tour but also the value is there if you can hit hit on some of these guys yeah, it's been a wild start to this whole. The, 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 I'm just curious to see where we get in the next couple of years, even with with the live and the PGA Tour and this relationship and all that. Because you got, I mean, guys are taking the money now. They're jumping ship left and right. We've seen it. It's 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 turning. We thought it was going to just fade away, right? You thought all oh, live was going to be done, and then nope, here we go. I mean, it's sports are changing as a whole. I think I saw like the the, the men's tennis tour has their leaderboard sponsored by the Saudis now. I mean, God, we're just. The world is changing, to say the least. Uh, the NBA Sixth Man of the Year could be a roller coaster of a market. Now might be the time to look for a potential riser. We're going to do that next. Bet MGM tonight.
We're back with BetMGM tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. And Malik Monk, your favorite to win NBA Sixth Man of the Year right now, minus 145. Norman Powell's all the way back at 5-1 to one with Tim Hardaway, plus 550. Karis LeVert, 8-1. to one. It's always a weird award, Trista, and I feel like it can certainly fluctuate. A lot, a lot of these awards markets can, but this is definitely one that as the season goes on, a lot can change, especially when you have guys that maybe get thrust into a starting spot when somebody's out, if they've played a certain amount of games off the bench, and then they get out there. And it's, you know, it's it's a tough one to read, but this is the time of year where you could see somebody that maybe you think is priced wrong and think that there's going to be like the team is picking up their, their play at the right time or whatever the case is, and maybe you jump in at that point. Like, I don't know, you like Tim Hardaway at plus 550. Dude's averaging like, what, almost 17 points a game at this point. It, that that may be the direction to go, but like that, I feel like is the way you kind of have to think about this market at this point in the year. Yeah, I mean, we saw that last year with Malcolm Brogdon, and mm-hmm. that we had no idea whether that was going to be something until it happened. Like me and Ryan were waiting until the award came out, and we still didn't know uh, if that was going to be the case, right? And Malik Monk's been a little bit interesting because he's been all over the board. He had eight points Mm -hmm. against the Heat, 12 against the Clippers. He just has, like, these random three, four, five streaks. And for, you know, a six-man to be averaging only 15 points per game, you know, averaging 36% from from the three-point line, there's certainly guys that you could see if they were to go crazy for the next whole rest of the season – I think about, say, somebody like uh, Benedict Matherin. And Benedict Matherin isn't mm-hmm. even on our sheet. Um, but I saw him at like 40 to 1. And what did he have just the other night? 30? And so you look yeah, at him 60, and maybe. He's 66 to 1 now. He's 66 yes. to 1. So had three. he has only 3 tonight, but he had 34 against the Raptors. He's only averaging 15 points per game, too. But say, for example, the way that you can get to someone like him. Say, for example, Tyrese Halliburton continues to have these nagging injuries. He needs to play because he needs to play the 65 games. Maybe he ends up getting low, you know, minutes restrictions, continuing for the rest of the 25 games or so that they have left in the season. And, and Benedict ends up being used in a different way, in a different role. I mean, he's had, he, had, he played 40 minutes the other game right? 33 against the Mavericks, 35 Mm -hmm. minutes against the Pistons. So I could see someone like him, not necessarily just him, but someone like him starting to shoulder the scoring burden. And you get all of those highlights and that stuff that you see on Twitter. I could see those odds shortening for for Benedict Matherin. Yeah. I mean, the numbers, if they keep going up, right, and you keep getting more of just like you said, these opportunities, this is like you just kind of have to gauge like like what you're doing there now or, you know, buy low on. The reason why I mentioned Tim Hardaway, too, is because he's actually had a really bad month. He's only averaging around 10 points a game in the month of February. When you look at about 19 a game throughout that, when he was looked at as the guy that could win the award throughout a lot of this season. So if Dallas picks up their play, some of it, too, is obviously you got Kyrie Irving back. There's just more shots. There's not going to be as much of an opportunity for somebody like Tim Hardaway. But we've seen that. It just doesn't it feel like to you. It feels like it's just kind of a weaker field this year. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like anybody – like Malik Monk's having a good season, but it nobody feels like they've truly separated themselves in this yet. No, you're right. You're right about that. And the players that are in the mix, Norm Powell being one of them, you look at what he's mm-hmm. done. And 
he's kind of a roller coaster. He has 21 last game against the Kings, 19 against the Thunder, 21 against the Warriors, and then a couple of games where he's got six and two, and then hot mm-hmm. streak, and then another like couple of games where he's pretty much not impactful at all. So I like Norm Powell though. Norm Powell, if see see the thing about the Clippers right now is their last eight games are four and four, right? And they're they're winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one for the last eight games straight. They're probably gonna beat the Lakers tonight. They're two and a half point favorites. I want to say at home. So if the Clippers turn it up and aren't a five hundred team, and they've been really good outside of this eight game stretch, right? Norm Powell is gonna be a big reason for that. He at plus five fifty. This, I don't think this race is over by a long shot. So, or a plus 500, excuse me, and shop around because there's different domestics that have wildly different odds. I saw some for, for like I said, Mathern was 40 to 1, and you're seeing right here, or Matherin, and he's 66 to 1 on BetMGM. So you're going to have to shop around. But I think he's someone that I could see sneaking back uh, into the top of the race. You know, I'd even look at somebody like a Jordan Clarkson at 50-1 to 1 right now. I mean, the guy's averaging 17 a game. He hasn't had as good of a month in February, but a lot of guys kind of tend to fall off in this, and then you kind of pick things back up as, you know, March and April, like we said, right? The games are more meaningful. Might not be for Utah. They're you know, on the outside of the play-in tournament looking in, and we know that that's a team that kind of, you know, they've lost what – I mean, they've lost – feels like 100 games in a row. They've had a really bad month. Let's just put it that way in February. Right. It has not been a good month for the Utah Jazz. But Jordan Clarkson has a major, major role there in Utah. And when that shot, he's shooting 37% from the field this month and only 28% from three. But you go back, like we know he's a guy that can hit those shots when he gets them. It's just there can be a little bit of that inconsistency. But he reminds me of like a lot of the traditional six men that we've had in the past, right? That spark plug off the bench, go out there, get you some points, hit some shots. They may go one of six from three one night, but the next night they're going five of nine. You know, it's the J.R. Smith. It's, uh, you know, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, who's kind of regarded as like the best six man we've ever had, the only three-time winner. So the, if you generally go back and look at the award, especially more recently, for the most part, it's the guy that comes off the bench, and Clarkson's obviously already won it. He won it, what, three years ago. But... You know, it's guys that'll go out there, get you buckets, they'll score. They're that spark plug for you. That's been really the trend. And if I, I mean, you go back and look at it. I mean, James Harden obviously won it back in 2012. It was J.R. Smith. It was Crawford. It was Lou Williams. It was Crawford. It was Eric Gordon. Lou Williams. Lou Williams. Those types of players, other than Montrez Harrell, that's kind of what we've had over the years. So I feel like he does fit the mold. And with it being so wide open, I, it just doesn't. It feels like a lot of this just isn't priced right, given how close everybody feels in terms of the seasons they're having for six-man. Yeah, and, like, let's be honest, the Kings aren't that high up in the standings. So what Mm -hmm. Malik Monk is doing isn't necessarily going to be as meaningful as what I think someone like Norm Powell would want to do, especially considering if you're talking about, like, we want to give rest down the stretch to Kawhi and PG. And they'll play, but they're not going to play nearly as many minutes as they played in the beginning of the season. And we're going to try to make it to, like, I don't know, a top two, top three seed in the West. Then I think the, the all eyes are going to be on someone like Norm Powell versus Malik Monk, right? Where I don't think voters are going to mm-hmm. be, like, looking at Malik Monk and say, how much did he really impact what the Sacramento Kings were doing when you have guys like Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox there. Yeah, you have Kawhi and PG, but 
when you're higher in the stands, I, standings, I feel like there's just going to be more eyeballs on you, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and you know, what, I mean, it could also just be a padding the stats thing. Like, okay, so here's another example. Bogdan Bogdanovich right now is on there at 30-1. to 1. He's been getting a lot of starts, right? He's been getting right. more minutes. He's been getting – I mean, I'm looking now. If you look at even just over his last – I mean, so, yeah, 15 points a game in February. But you look at 19, 17, 14, 12, but then 28. That was a loss against the Bulls. But now with, with Trey Young out – Bogdanovich is going to get a lot more opportunities, a lot more shots. So it could be a chance just for him to even pad his stats a little bit. We're at the end of the season. Because, look, I'm not going to try to get in every voter's head. We can't do that. But we still have to kind of do that anyway. And sixth man of the year sometimes is a very can be a flashy award if there's guys that really stand out. With guys not standing out this year, I just kind of wonder if there's going to be some voters that put a lot of time into MVP in that decision or coach of the year, really competitive races that we've talked about. And then it comes down to six men, and they're like, you know what? Bogdanovich averaged 18 points a game when it was all said and done. Hawks were a playing team. I'm going to give him six man of the year. Like, again, we're playing devil's advocate, trying to just get in voters' heads, whatever you want to look at it as. But that may be what it comes down to is who can pad their stats the most at the end of the year, given the fact that somebody's out. Yeah, and remember, too, the consensus favorite was Emmanuel Quickly. And then Emmanuel Quickly got yes. traded and got thrust into the starter role. So it would have been all but over. And then he was moved to the Toronto Raptors. And then everything kind of got herky-jerky, right? So that opened up the, the odds. It opened up this vote, this race for players that we would have never even been thinking about, talking about. No shade mm-hmm. to Malik Monk because Malik Monk is, is incredible in winning time specifically and I know people are probably not talking about Nas Reed and he's 18 to 1 but like Nas Reed also incredibly impactful for the number one team uh, in the West that was the reason why they locked him down to a contract you have two big men already to start and they made sure to get Nas Reed and his plus minus has been insane so I'm not saying that a guy like that on a team that's not as I guess sexy as the Clippers are and I Mm -hmm. and I say sexy with the Clippers very loosely but Minnesota certainly is lower on the radar um, than than L.A. is. But Nas Reed certainly has a case as well. You know, it's crazy when you bring up the fact and that quickly you're right. I mean, was the heavy favorite. And was the heavy favorite towards the end of the season last year. We kind of thought he had the award wrapped up and then uh, Malcolm Brogdon ends up winning it. But we've now had a couple of awards this year kind of flipped on their head because of two different things. One, the MVP with Joel Embiid now not going to be – he won't be eligible, won't play 65 games. But then you also have quickly traded into a starter's role where then you look and say, well, okay, well, who's next down that list there? So the awards market, if as long as they keep this – and I don't know how long that 65-game rule is going to last. If I had to go out on a limb, I'd say it probably won't be very long before they change it. Let's get the new TV deal done, and then we can just say, ah, guys, you don't have to play as much as you did. We got our money. We're all locked up. But we may have at least a stretch over the next couple of seasons where you're going to have certain now another factor between the games missed and, you know, players obviously being moved into different roles, which has all, always been the potential of a something to flip this on their head in any of these awards. But now it's multiple things that could really change the entire market as the season goes on. No, you're, you're 100% right. We've got a month and change, month and a half and change until – you know, the playoff start, I tell you what, we're going to see these odds go all over the board. So I think so too. dig into the analytics and, uh, and, and think about what players 
on which teams are going to have the most meaningful games down the stretch. That's why I'm not sure about Tim Hardaway. He's been so hot, so cold. And P.J. Washington now emerging on this team kind of ices him out. we got a couple new players on the Mavericks that are getting bigger roles. Yeah, I I mean, uh, if he could get back to the way he was playing a month ago, that's one thing. That's why you look at it and say, at this point, that might be where his price kind of hits, but I'd rather take a Jordan Clarkson at 50-1. to I'd rather take a Bogdanovich at 30-1. to If you had to take one guy, and we're talking 18-1 to is Nas Reed, so double-digit, essentially like, you know, more than, so it's, uh, Karis LeVert's 8-1, to so let's even cross him off. We start with Nas Reed at 80-18-1, to Bogdanovich is 30, Westbrook's 30, Clarkson's 50, Matherin's 66, and Bobby Portis, Crazy Eyes, is 100-1. Out of all those, that's literally the entire board at BetMGM right now, by the way. If I gave you a free bet, and you can only pick one, you gotta bet one of those guys right now today, who would it be? Ben Matherin. 66 to 1. And Matherin. Yep. His upside is just and, too immense. And I think Tyrese yep. is not healthy. Matherin has, he's one of those players that, like, has kind of been lost in the shuffle on this Pacers team. But you're right. You're starting to see a little bit more there where he's getting that bigger role and getting more comfortable and getting an opportunity to, to I think, really, again, pad those stats as the, as the rest of this whole thing goes on. Yeah, no doubt. In, in, and right now, actually, He's only got three points, though. He's one of six. Uh, Pacers are up 57-45 on the Pelicans. Zion's got eight. Brandon Ingram's got 11. C.J. McCollum's got nine. But, I mean, yeah, you're going to get younger players. They're going to always have these kind of these ups and downs. But, yeah, he's one of six. Pascal Siakam, by the way, six of six with 12 points tonight. And he has been – I mean, he has been really a massive difference maker for this this Pacers team. I It's just – they're, they're, like, on the cusp of something. I don't know if they can do anything this offseason in, in terms of, like, the assets they had to go out and get themselves. Somebody besides, obviously, Siakam, they got to worry about his contract and that type of thing. But I feel like there's one more piece, and that Pacers team is talked about as, like, top three in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they need some rim protection, some more rim protection. Mm-hmm. Defensively, they give up a lot of points in the paint. Miles Turner's good. They're hoping, I'm sure, Jairus Walker is going to emerge into something. He's been in the G League. He hasn't really played many minutes. His role is very small for a guy who was, who was drafted as high in the lottery as he was. But they really believe this could be his team. If you've watched Jairus Walker play at all at Houston or watched him play in yeah. the Summer League, he jumps right off the page. So maybe he's the key when he develops. But they're, they're a year or two away from being really serious contenders i would be shocked if they went past the like past the second round this year uh, emmanuel quickly again uh three of five from three 14 points already 66 62 the mavs are up on the raptors a minute and a half to go in the first half in that quickly has taken that role and just run with it in Toronto. They may not be a good team, but it's a great spot for him. I'm making three of six from three now already in the first half. Actually, I think I did have the over on his uh, his threes in a parlay because he's been a monster. So there you go. That maybe will keep that thing alive because the betting gods have not helped me when it comes to Kyrie Irving. He hasn't even taken a three yet. Bet MGM tonight. We're back with Bet MGM tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by Bet MGM. And once a day, you can play the BetMGM free-to-play BetMGM Fast Break for a chance to win daily prizes. You can play as the point guard and choose to pass to Kevin Garnett, maybe pass to Jalen Rose. They're both involved with it, or you can take itself for a dunk. You can score, win a prize. 
They got it right on the promotions tab, right there in the top. Get in there, sign up, click it, get involved, play some games, get out there and maybe not bet on Kyrie Irving to hit a bunch of threes in a game because he hasn't even taken one at halftime. Raptors up 67-66 right now. So there's that. It's the damn NBA. Auburn, though, up on number four, Tennessee, 63-58. Uh, you got Duke up big on Louisville, which they should be 67-46. And then uh, Oklahoma's got a 20-16 to lead over Iowa State right now as well. So, yeah, big one for Auburn there if they could do that. We talked to Brad Evans earlier who loves Tennessee as the potential final number one seed in the tournament, down five right now, Trista. Auburn is tough, man. Bruce Pearl has these kids ready to play. I was at that final four where Auburn was playing Virginia and Kyle Guy got fouled with like two seconds left to go in the corner three to win that game. And Bruce Pearl, I mean, Auburn should have won that game, absolutely. They were a, they were easily the best team left in the four. So I, I love to see them playing well against a team like Tennessee, which is you know highly ranked and everybody thinks is going to be a top seed in the tournament because in Knoxville, by the way, I'm also looking here, in case you're wondering, Tyler Kolick is out on the floor, Trista, and has 12 points and six assists. I hate Twitter. That was ridiculous. Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it now, has become the Carolina Panthers of social media. It's an absolute disaster. There was a tweet making its rounds today about Tyler Kolick not being able to play for Marquette anymore because he got it, failed a couple of classes and that he what reports were that he couldn't read or something. And then there, come on now, who was it that actually tweeted? I mean, who was it the tweet? It was something. There was like their head of uh, senior head compl- of the senior compliance person at Marquette said, came out and obviously said this is not true. It's not funny. Kick rocks, which is the right response. The problem is, is an account yeah. with a blue check. This is this is the problem with it. This is why you can't pay for a blue check. This is why you should actually have real people confirmed as real people, so you don't have fake accounts and stuff that gets spread all over the internet. Because as we've learned, everybody will believe everything if it's on the internet at this point. It doesn't take very much anymore, well, and that's without deep fake and AI and everything else that's coming out. So the world is screwed. We're all going to get fake information, and we're going to get nothing but lies when it comes to any offseason for any league moving forward. It's going to be fake Adam Schefter's and fake Woj's across the board. Yeah, it made no sense. I mean, I sent it to you guys because the guy had a blue check, and he seemed yeah the way that the tweet was constructed seemed very real too. The part yeah. that I didn't and- that made me feel a little suspicious was the part that people said he couldn't read. Right, and that's when you go, okay, this isn't it, and you're like, wait, is this real? Is this not? And that's but like that's the problem. We have to assume that everything's a lie until we know for sure that it's the truth anymore, like more than ever before. And it's just like you see it and you go, this is this is what has ruined this site. It's it's completely ruined it. Threads isn't there yet. It's not going to be the same thing anyway. So I saw there was some there was some article today. I don't remember who wrote it, but it was like the de- they called it the death of sports Twitter. And I was like, you know what? It's it's there. Like it's there. I, I mean, it, it used to be a fun spot to be in, and now it is an absolute disaster. Where we're getting more and more of that stuff. Uh, is there anything else in this Kings Nuggets game? Think you gave out everything you wanted, right? Because we haven't. This is where our show bet is. Because you're on the under and Jokic rebounds and assists, right? And then I'm t- I took the over just on Jokic's assists, though. That's the only. Is that the only I'm thing on you're Sabonis, on in this? Sabonis over 13 and a half rebounds. He's hit this in okay. five of his last six times that he's played Jokic. It feels like these Euros they take these matchups very seriously against one another. Yes, especially if you're you're talking about inter Europe divisional sort of beefs. 
right? Like these Eastern European countries really don't F with one another at all. So when you get the Euros playing one another, whether that's somebody like Sabonis versus Jokic, or even if it's someone like Zubac or or, um, or uh, Luka Doncic, all those things. So Sabonis has been a beast against Jokic. Over 13 and a half rebounds. And then I really like the Kings plus seven and a half. They're just, they're just a really good team to bet against contenders when they're big dogs like they are right now. They've already beaten the Nuggets three times so far this year outright. Like I said, you know, Sabonis has contained Jokic pretty well. So I think that they could win this game outright. It's hard to beat any team, though, four times. So, yeah, but I do like them plus seven and a half. Yeah, you're right about the the rivalries between a lot of these the top Euro players coming over here to the NBA, and it feels like there's just a different mindset too. And I hate to be the guy that blames AAU, but I'm going to blame AAU here a little bit because a lot of other people are blaming AAU, where they just approach the game differently over and a lot overseas as opposed to here, where it's a lot about just playing a ton of games versus practice, and the competitiveness just feels different. These guys come over all business. It feels very, very different. And, I mean, really, when you think about it, some of the top players in the NBA now, they're not American-born players. The game is spread across the world more and more. And I think it's great for the NBA because we're getting a type of player that we've never seen before, especially when you talk about bigs. And when they take it seriously, that gives us what we've wanted, right? We don't want these guys to be friends on the court. We want rivalries. We want the competitiveness. So if it's going to bring that out in the Kings-Nuggets game tonight, absolutely. I mean, everybody wants to be in, wants to see just that. So that's that's what we're going to get tonight. All right, it is a Wednesday, which means it's time to play a little game of Would You Rather. It's now time to play Would You Rather with BetMGM tonight on the BetQL Network. Scotty Lynn, welcome in, my friend. Russ just hits different on a Wednesday, doesn't he? I love it. Trista, to start with you as we are all in remote locations spanning the country with a little BetQL fun. Uh, would you rather, T, UConn Huskies at 5-1 to one or the Denver Nuggets at plus 450? Both would be looking for the repeat. Would you rather? Ooh, that's a good question. For me, it's got to be the Nuggets. I still don't know who, who beats them. When they end up playing in playoff winning time basketball they're not just offensively so hard to stop but defensively they're they've become this very amorphous we talked about this with boston yesterday but very versatile defense also Jokic, when defending the pick and roll which was kind of like his kryptonite kryptonite two three years ago he's one of the best in the league at defending pick and roll right now so i think i think it's a purely math play less opponents to go up against you know, you've got UConn. It's a wide open field. Anything can happen in a one-game situation versus a seven-game series. So for me, it would be the Nuggets. Nick, yeah, I'll come I to would... you with uh, number two, sir. So we'll just we'll, we'll try something different tonight for flow purposes. Right. Keep it on the All Nuggets, right. though. Would you rather bet the Nuggets to repeat as Western champs, plus 240, mm-hmm. or Mr. Jokic and his marked-up arms at minus 145 currently, to win MVP number three. Would you rather? That's good. That's good. I I think I'd probably go... I'm going to go Jokic winning MVP only because... God. 
Ah, this is a good one. This is a really, really good one. You know what? You like these. I would go Jokic. I would go Jokic MVP though, only because now with Joel Embiid out, it just you kind of feel like I feel like SGA is going to be a year off. As much as I think he deserves it this year, we're at that point where still like Jokic has established himself, now won an NBA title, and we're trying to find the next like the rival to him with Embiid out in terms of looking at the actual MVP and. Luka Doncic would be there if Dallas could get their act together and, I don't know, beat the Raptors tonight. That would be a start. And get out of the playing tournament. But you got to be like a top three seed to actually win MVP. Uh, you're starting to see that snowball effect for somebody like Jokic and just the uniqueness and the insane dominance that he brings to the floor every single night where we're going to have what we rarely have, and it's somebody winning three MVPs over a four-year span. We had LeBron win it four out of, what, five years with a Derrick Rose in the middle, and we had the three out of four for Magic Johnson years ago. So it's a situation here where it feels like Jokic is finally just getting the respect where people are not getting the voter fatigue just with him yet. And on the West side of things, like, dude, you you, you look at the Nuggets. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Trista. I, that is still the best team in the West, and I don't know who beats him even in the Eastern Conference. But, like, what if somebody gets hurt? Like, what if Jamal Murray gets hurt again? What if Michael Porter Jr. isn't out there? Like, there's just there's other factors with all types of different players that could affect that team in the playoffs versus one guy continuing to do what he's done the entire year. Now, the price obviously isn't as good, but I'm going to just look at it from an MVP perspective versus the West champs and what's more likely going to happen. I'll go with Jokic MVP. Trista, last one to you. Coming off the last segment, and if you missed it, check it out, podcast form, wherever you can get your podcasts. Malik Monk currently at minus 145. And it was a great conversation about the Sixth Man of the Year Award. So Mr. Monk at minus 145, or would you rather the field for Sixth Man of the Year? So much can happen. I know oh, you I... said you like Matherin at 66 to 1, but Malik is in the lead. It's just such a damn volatile topic and an award process. It is. It's it's super volatile. I think I'd have to take the field. I actually don't think Malik Monk wins this award. What happens if Sacramento slides into the bottom of the play-in race? They've been known to have long stretches of playing very head-scratching basketball. They can play really well against teams like Denver or L.A., some of the contenders, and then they lose to New Orleans. I think they've lost to New Orleans a million times this season, every single time that they played. They lost to the Heat that had no Tyler Hero, no Josh Richardson, no Jimmy Butler. It was just Jaime Hawkins and Bam. So... If they're not playing meaningful basketball, Malik Monk is probably not going to win the award. So I'm going to take the field. There is so much that can still happen for that award. There really is. I mean, it, it, and we just saw it literally last year. So I think you bring up a good point, too, in terms of Trista, like where Sacramento could end up. Because they're not the same team they were last year. They're just not. Like, if they were a fun team last year, the expectations but they are. are higher. And they're the results actually, are lower. They're actually... They're Record-wise, the same, but it's just the West. But do they is so much feel better. like the same team though? Do they feel like the same team? It doesn't feel like the same team, eye test-wise. Anytime you have uh, expectations, it's going to be tough for you to repeat those unless you take a step up and not just remain the same. Exactly, and that's what I was saying. Was that like you're going to get to the point now where people expect more out of them? You're not getting it, so that's going to then hurt everybody, whether it's DeMontis Sabonis and, you know, All-NBA or Malik Monk and Sixth Man of the Year, whatever the case is, because in the NBA, right, it's, are you taking that next step? 
You going to? You didn't? Okay, well, in that case, then we don't look at you the same way anymore. You got to keep it's what have you done for me lately in any sport? But the NBA is clearly that way, too. The Memphis Grizzlies wasn't that long ago that that was actually the case. Uh, Auburn and Tennessee tied at 69. Nice right now. Bet MGM tonight.